Are you glad you came to worship today? Amen. We believe that we want to lift high the name of Jesus in worship. We think about who he is and what he's accomplished for us. We realize there really is no God like our God. Amen. And that gives us awesome reason to praise him. And uh, I hope that you guys, like, realize this is a really important moment in our week where we come together and we want to we want to put a log on the fire of our hearts for the week. This, this reminds us of what God has done, and there's no God like our God, and it stokes the fire of our, of our hearts, the passion that we want to have for Him. And we need that during the week. And uh, I, I hope that you enjoy uh, getting to do that together and hearing your brothers and sisters crying out. We believe these things. We believe that there's no God like our God. And we want to worship, worship Him together. What if, what if I told you that this God uh, who has revealed himself to us wants to speak to us even this morning. Would, would you want to hear that? We're not moving away from this moment, uh, but we want to we get our Bibles out now, and uh, we want to worship by listening to him. So you can find your seats, and if you would uh, grab your Bibles and go with us to the book of Ephesians. Go with us to the book of Ephesians. If you are new with us this morning, I am really glad you're here. My name is Jeff. I am one of the pastors at, at Harvest, and um, we love to just dive into God's Word. And so if you don't have a Bible, you'll notice that our ushers are coming by. Uh, you just get their attention. They'll give you a Bible, and we want you to go there into uh, Ephesians chapter 2. And I realize, even though you are super excited to be here this morning and worshiping with your church family, this is quite possibly the worst Sunday of the year. So here's what I need to do. Uh, I, I want you to encourage uh, your brother and sister sitting next to you who may be feeling a little extra sleepy this morning. Would you do this? Would you just turn to them and say, I'm watching you? We just believe in accountability around here, so we're going to help you out with this. But we are in the book of Ephesians. We're actually going to finish chapter 2. We are just cruising right along here this morning, and we are looking into the mirror of God's Word in the book of Ephesians, what we're seeing. We're seeing all these glorious truths about who we are in Christ. We've seen that we are, we are chosen, and we have hope, and we can see, and we are God's masterpiece. And so are you ready to see another truth? You ready to look at another blessing that we have in Christ? Anybody ready for that? You excited? But listen, before we look down in the text, I'm so glad that you are eager to do that. We are Harvest Bible Church. We love to get into the Word of God. But before we look down into the text, I want you to know that one of the things that I love about this church is that the truths that we're about to see, this, this glorious truth about who we are in Christ that we're going to see in the text is actually visible when we look around in our church here. Go ahead, look around. You love these people? You love these people that we're, we're gathered together with? I hope you do. Do you see, when you look around, do you see the diversity within our church family? You see that? I think it's pretty cool that every week here at Lanier Middle School in Fairfax, Virginia, our growing church gathers together as a family, and we have our demographics representing various ethnicities and nations and languages and cultures and levels of education and occupations and economic situations and ages. I'm just telling you, we are very di diverse. 
And that's an okay thing. And I, and I know that some of you look around, you're like, well, I see a lot of similarities and we still have room to grow. But I'm just telling you that somebody else coming from another community would walk in here and it would be so blatantly obvious to them, we're a really diverse church. And as a white boy who grew up in the cornfields of Ohio, I feel like I have a kind of a unique perspective and appreciation for it. I'm still getting used to this area. It seems like, I kind of joke with those of you who are locals. Do we have anybody who like grew up around here? How many of you grew up around here? See, I think that's, you're an anomaly, right? It almost seems like most people that live here aren't from here. And we meet people all the time that are, They've traveled the world, and they're from all over the place, and I'm still getting used to the fact that while I'm talking to somebody, I'll be like, man, I haven't seen them in a while, and they're like, oh, they, they've been in like Budapest or something like that, and it's not a thing, right? That's, that's an okay thing. Listen, in Ohio, where I came from, if somebody was missing, it's probably because they went to Cleveland or something like that, <laughs> and the most exotic place we had, maybe we went to Disney World, but we probably just took the camper down to the lake, and so I'm just telling you, this is a really diverse area. But maybe the thing that encourages me more than our diversity is the fact that you need someone to point it out for you to actually even think about it. See, most of you, uh, you it rarely, if ever, crosses your mind on a Sunday morning uh, that, that we're gathering together with all of this diversity. And I love that. And I think there are a few reasons for that. One is that we live in Northern Virginia. And with the continual urbanization of the world, the, the world is flocking to the cities. It's not, uh, it's not abnormal. We should kind of expect that the nations would gather uh, just outside of our nation's capital. We're kind of getting used to it around here. Maybe one of the other reasons that it's just not a thing is the millennials' generation is coming of age. And I don't like to throw out labels, but I've talked to you about the millennials before. Sometimes it's really helpful for us to kind of get an idea of who we are and how we think and some of the uh, events that have really shaped us. Uh, but here, uh, Tom uh, Rayner is the president and CEO of um, Lifeway Christian Resources. And he and his son, Jess Rayner, wrote a book in 2011 called The Millennials. And they defined the millennial generation as anyone who was born between 1980 and 2000. 1980 and 2000. So if you think about that, uh, we kind of have a large representation of that here. That's why I'm saying this is part of the reason. And one of the things that they say is diversity is commonplace for the millennials more than any previous generation. It is a non-issue. It's just a matter of fact. It's simply our reality. And millennials uh, do not simply tolerate those of a different skin colors or ethnic backgrounds. They are far more likely to embrace them as friends, and to make them a part of their world. You see, previous generations had to be confronted and strive for diversity. And while we know that the issues aren't over, we just grew up with it. This is the world we know. We've never known anything different. So it's not really a thing for us. But I think and I hope that the main reason that this is so natural and is so accepted here in our church is because God is at work. Because God is drawing us together and He is knitting our hearts together in love. And one of the things that you'll find is that um, we, don't need to, we don't need to be afraid of that. We, don't, we, we, we can embrace it, can't we? We are not colorblind. We, we see the differences. And this isn't something that we're like, don't acknowledge it. Don't say anything about it. No, no, no. This is something that 
we should encourage and celebrate as the church. Because what an awesome reality that when we gather together every Sunday here at Harvest, we're getting a little taste of what heaven is going to be like. And when we gather to worship at the throne room of God, it will be with every nation, every tribe, every tongue. What a cool thing that when we worship together, we get a little taste of that every year. So, while living in Northern Virginia and living in an increasingly global world, thanks in part to technology, while that makes our cultural context more comfortable with diversity, there's no denying that we still live in a world that is rife with animosity and hostility, right? We still uh, are uneasy and fearful. And the tension sometimes is really palatable. And you sense the walls that exist here, don't you? And when I, when I mean walls, we, we, we put up walls that protect people from the differences that they may fear. We have all sorts of walls, and maybe you've bumped into someone's wall around this area. And walls that separate and divide because maybe we don't understand their English all that well. Or their food is really too spicy. Or uh, they grew up in a city that had mostly mosques or temples. Or they voted on the wrong side of the wall of politics. Or um, they're just used to a different lifestyle. See, walls keep us separated from them. You bumped into someone's wall around here? But this is what I love about Harvest Fairfax. We are different. And Ephesians 2 shows us why. If you're taking notes this morning, you may want to note this. The reason why is that in Christ, we are reconciled. We are reconciled. Look at what Paul says in verse 11. He says, Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of, of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For He Himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that He might create in Himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. And He might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And He came and He preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. For through Him, we both have access in one Spirit to the Father. Father, I pray that You would, even now, you would encourage us with these truths in your word. God, we submit to you and want to hear what you have to say for us on these issues. And we are so encouraged when we worship with our church family. And yet, uh, we also want to grow in this. So we're praying that we would grow in wisdom and sensitivity and love. And that we would recognize the reconciliation that we have because of Christ. We give you praise and glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. 
Well, I want you to notice, um, as we look at this section, um, Paul is going to use the same argument structure that he used in the section we looked at last week. Uh, in, in chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, uh, Paul is using this uh, contrasting argument style. You see it there in verse 1? You see it? Verse 1, he says, you were dead. That was kind of a bad news, right? But then you see the contrast in verse 4. We love these words. Verse 4 says, but God, so thankful for that. So here's the contrast. You were dead, but God made you alive. Okay, do you see the contrast? Well, he's doing the same thing here. Verse 11, he says, therefore, remember that at one time, so he's pointing back to who you were before so that it highlights the difference here in verse 13. Verse 13 says, but now in Christ Jesus. So Paul wants them to remember where they came from so that they can have a deeper appreciation for their present reality. And the contrast helps clarify for them who we are now in Christ. And he says, therefore remember that at one time, you Gentiles. Now we just got to like notice that that is a stark contrast in language from the way he's just been talking. He's been talking with a lot of us and we language. If you look at it in verse 4, uh, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. Verse 10, for we are his workmanship. But now here in verse 11, he kind of switches and says, okay, now uh, remember that at one time, you Gentiles, What's the deal, Paul? It, it, this is his way of highlighting, like, wait, you, don't, don't, get, don't get me wrong here. You just need to know, I'm a Jew, you are Gentiles, and there's a difference. He's highlighting this difference. And he says, you were called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision. Now, I really don't want to have to explain that. I hope you can understand it, but here's the deal. Uh, that is really important for a Jewish people. Because the Jewish people, that was uh, an indication, it was a sign that they belonged to Israel. That they had a covenant relationship with God. That you belonged to God's chosen people. So it's really important. And from a Jewish perspective, there were two groups of people in the world. There's us, we're the circumcised people, and them, everybody else. You are the uncircumcised people. There are two races in their world. Jews and Gentiles, or Greeks. And you just got to know that when a Jew would call somebody the uncircumcised, that is not a flattering term, okay? That's really kind of derogatory. It's basically their way of saying, I'm better than you. We are superior to you. This is my way of telling you that you are inferior to us. Have you ever uh, uh, been the victim of a racial slur or somebody kind of making fun of you because of the, I don't know, the way you look or your family or something completely outside of your control. You ever, you ever felt that? Well, that's the feeling here if somebody calls you uh, the uncircumcised. And, and this is just the way the Jews viewed the world. But it's not the way Gentiles viewed the world. They didn't think of themselves as, we're the uncircumcised. They're, they're not like parading that down the street. But, but why, Paul, why, why are you bringing this up? Why are you reminding them of their ethnic, their racial differences? Wouldn't it be better to just not say anything about it? Like, it, it seems like you're almost trying to rub that in their face of their past offenses and the animosity that existed between the Jews and the Gentiles. Well, Paul knows the redemptive history of the church, and he just wants the Gentile Christians to be able to appreciate it. What he's saying, it's, it's, this is his way, like, he's, he's setting you up here. He's like, I, I just want you to see what I see. When I look at this church here in Ephesus, 
It's incredible. When I look at our church, when I think about some of your stories that I'm privileged to know and where you came from, it's incredible to think what God has done to make you a part of this. And in Paul's mind, you just have to know he thought that being Jewish had its advantages. Because they were the chosen people. They were the people to whom God had made some incredible promises and that covenantal privileged relationship. And it was through the Jewish people that God was going to send the rescuer, the Messiah. God was the one who made them different from everybody else. But the reason that God had done that was because he wanted them to become a blessing to the Gentile nations. They're going to completely fail at that miserably because they failed to really stay set apart to God. And they took their distinctions and they uh, used them as uh, a reason to feel superior to everybody else instead of being a blessing. But here is Paul reminding them, you guys didn't have those advantages. Y'all were on the outside looking in. It was a really bad situation. Look what he says, verse 12. He highlights kind of five different realities of who they were. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ. That's a problem if you want to be saved. You were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. You didn't belong. You weren't part of the family. And the third thing, you were strangers to the covenants of the promises. God didn't make those promises to you. And then having no hope, really highlighting the dire situation that you were in and without God in the world. Have you ever thought about what it would be like if you had been born in, uh, say, a Muslim country like Pakistan or something like that? Or if you had been born into a tribe in Indonesia where the gospel has never reached? You ever thought about that? You kind of think like, man, it would, be, it would take a miracle for me to come to Christ. That's essentially what Paul's trying to help you understand. Do you know, like, you might as well have been living on a deserted island with no hope of a, of a rescue squad ever coming or even getting news of a rescuer. You, there was a wall that separated you from Christ. But look what he says, verse 13. But now, that's another great contrast in Scripture. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You've been reconciled. Reconciled means there's been a change in your relationship. You have been brought near. And here's the reason. Note this. Only the cross can break down walls. Only the cross can break down walls. You see, the divide that they had here was racial, yes. It was cultural, yes. But it was actually spiritual. And it took blood to overcome And only the blood of the Son of God could bring you near. But here's the problem. Bringing you near also meant that those tense relationships that the Jews and Gentiles had, they're they're like up close and personal now. Now we got to really deal with this. And so verse 14, he says, For he himself is our peace and has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. God broke down the wall. And Paul probably had in mind a literal wall. Because as you go to the temple in Jerusalem, there was a wall there in the temple where this, no more. Gentiles can't cross this. There's the court of the Gentiles. But you're not allowed in if you're not Jewish. In fact, there was a sign, and we've got a picture of this sign. This was a, a, a temple 
warning inscription that was placed right there on the wall. You're allowed to come into the court of the Gentiles. That's fine. But basically this sign, uh, they, they found this, discovered this in the 19th century. It's in Istanbul today. This is from Herod's temple. And, it, and, and here's a rough translation. Don't pass this point. Whoever is caught doing so will have himself to blame for his death, which will follow. A little harsh. Help you understand like what's going on. So we have some signs around here, right? We, we've, you've probably noticed when you walked in, there was a welcome sign. I hope that was helpful. We have some directional signs that let you know where Harvest Kids is, where the uh, worship center is. We actually have some new signs that are sitting up right here in, in the family section. I don't know if you saw those this morning. Now, now listen, the, the reason we did that is because we really wanted to help our moms out. That's why we did that. So if you accidentally at any time in the next couple of weeks, like forget, and you cross that boundary without a kid, rest assured, we're not going to kill you, okay? But the fact that these Jews would have a sign up that basically says, you cross this point, you die, and don't say we didn't warn you, helps you kind of feel the, the hatred and the hostility that existed between these groups. Do you feel it? They're not going out for ice cream later. They do not like each other, and they don't get along. And pro- Paul's like probably not uh, referring to the literal wall, even if he has it on his mind, as much as to the figurative walls that clearly separated Jews from the Gentiles. They had uh, these distinctions in their ceremonious laws that were a daily reminder that we are different, that we are divided. But Paul is saying, listen, listen, listen. God has broken down that wall by his cross, verse 15, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in the ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. And you just got to appreciate that this was really hard for the early church. For centuries, the Jews understood and held on to the fact that they were different than the Gentiles. And then Jesus comes on the scene, and he is crucified. He is buried. He is raised to life. And then he is ascended. And then in Acts, he sends the Holy Spirit. And the church, it chronicles how the church just spreads all over the world. And the Gentiles are coming to Jesus, just like the Jews, by grace through faith. And listen, they didn't have to become Jewish. They were wrestling with this. God never intended the Gentiles to become Jewish. Jewish. Instead, it says that he was making one new man in place of the two. Because only the cross can break down walls and bring peace between enemies. And he says, verse 16, here it is, that he reconciled us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. You see, they both had a spiritual problem. But there's a change and God is brought them together. Now here's what this means for us. If the gospel can end the division between these two bitter enemies, then there is no wall that the cross of Jesus can't demolish. There's no wall that we might put up because we're afraid or we're not like those people. We want to have some comfort over here. We want to stick to ourselves. There's no wall that the cross of Jesus cannot break down. Oh, we've had some disappointing failed experiments as of late to bring peace and reconciliation. Things that we thought might be the answer 
to bring us together have kind of failed. If you think about these things, uh, one is technology. Maybe you don't think about it in that way, but think of, think of what technology has done. It has shrunk the world. And yet, it has not ultimately brought us together. The smartphone is a, is a window into cultures across the globe. You can pull it out of your pocket and see these cultures that you would never have seen before. And so in one sense, these, these cultures across the globe are now more familiar to us because we see them in our daily newsfeed, and yet they're still foreign. And I know that our younger generation, because of all this technology, they instinctively think globally, but the fault lines of division haven't disappeared. You can connect the world, but that won't break down walls. Or think about this. We have seen in our country in our tainted history of racism and segregation, uh, that it has been dealt a powerful blow in the social and political sphere because regardless of what you think about his political positions, the election of Barack Obama as the President of the United States in 2008 was a significant moment given our nation's history, wasn't it? And his campaign centered on hope, and there really was a sense of, of hope that we were ready to move forward. But even that social victory hasn't been able to end the violent division and hatred, and the American dream has failed to produce the racial reconciliation that we all know is needed. You can march, you can picket, you can vote, and you can post, and please do those things, and you might even win politically. That'd be a great thing, but ultimately that's not going to bring the walls down. Or John Lennon imagined a world with no religion. Maybe religion's the problem. Uh, we, we've got these, uh, these religions that end up fueling the fire of war, so maybe secularism is the way forward. Maybe we, we, down with anybody who wants to insist that they've got a corner market on truth. End religion to end all hostility. It kind of makes sense. In one, maybe, maybe that would work, but you just got to know it's not going to bring the walls down. The more you say, yeah, yeah, you're the ones that think you got truth, well, actually, I think I know better than you is essentially what you're saying. As arrogant as that claim may be for you to say, I have the truth, is equally as arrogant, maybe more so, to say, yeah, even though you say it, I know better. That's not going to bring the walls down. Or on the flip side of this, uh, many of you have undoubtedly driven behind a bumper sticker that has encouraged you to uh, coexist between religions. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, this is the, in, in one sense, I, I realize that we want to live at peace, but what it's doing, encouraging us and insisting that the way forward for us is through religious pluralism. We don't need to end religion. We just need to acknowledge them all as equally valid or even blend them all together. But I'm telling you, same thing. You're claiming to have a position of superiority. I can see better than you. You got a piece of the truth, but I see the whole thing. It's not going to bring the walls down. And any chance of believing that we are making progress gets dashed against the rocks when we remember the violence and hostility that we've seen in our nation around the world, even in the last year. You just think about some of the things that you've seen in the news. We are not at peace. We remain divided. And the reason, here's the problem, is because these walls exist because of our sin. And the only thing that can break down walls is the cross of Jesus Christ. That's the only thing that will do it. And Paul says, verse 14, He Himself is our peace. Jesus is the great peacemaker who has humbled Himself and became obedient to death, crushed under the wrath of God in our place to save us from our sin. 
And he has put to death now our pride, our jealousy, our fear, our anger, our hatred, our selfishness. And the symbol of the cross now stands erect forever as a symbol, as a visible reminder that our vertical relationship with God has been reconciled. But the cross also stretches horizontally as the implication that our right relationship with God now extends to others and we are reconciled with one another, brought near by his blood. And this is what we see in the church. We are reconciled. Hey, Harvest, the church is where we need to see diversity brought together in unity, celebrated and encouraged, where we have a welcome without judgment, where we have love without condition. This is what we do because this is who we are. We are reconciled in Christ. So we're going to see it here in the church. So let me ask you, are you, are you experiencing a little taste of heaven? Do you get that? You think about where every nation and tribe and tongue are gathered in worship. Do you, do you get a little bit of that when you come to worship here on the weekends? Let me ask you a few questions. Who's, who's in your row? Just kind of look around. Who's in your row? What I mean by that is, when you come to harvest on Sundays, are you thinking in your mind, uh, I, I need to find the people that are like me, the people that are my race or uh, my age or my stage of life or my likes or my dislikes? Like, are, are you thinking, uh, I need to find my people, the people that I'm comfortable with and I'm going to sit with them, I'm going to worship with them? Or are you willing to embrace diversity? How absurd would it be if we decided we were going to segregate our worship center according to some of the things that would divide us? Like, I'm, I'm sorry, this row is now reserved for Redskins fans, and um, uh, all you Cowboys fans, you're going to have to sit up in the nosebleeds, right? Not a good spot for an amen. I realize that, like, that means the Patriots fans probably aren't even allowed in the door, right? right? Or this, this, this area, this is for uh, men with beards, right? Sculpted manliness. <laughs> or, or this is our uh, gluten-free section over here, and y'all going to have to submit your recipes. And, and uh, up, up there, uh, we, we, those are people that like flip-flops, and uh, you Centerville people, you can all stay. That's absurd. That's crazy, isn't it? And I know somebody's like, well, we just made a family section. I know we did that because we, <laughs> we love our moms. It's not because they don't like you. It's because they don't want to knock you out with a car seat while they're trying to climb over you. Get it? Here's the point. Here's the point. Would you please go welcome others who aren't like you? Invite them to join in worship with you. Would you bring them here? Would you go sit with them and enjoy the time? There's no more walls. There's no more walls. Christ has broken those down. Who's in your row? Who's in your phone? If, you think, if, if we could look at uh, who you've been calling, who you've been texting, who you've been interacting with on social media this last week, are they people like you? You have a tight group of, a tight circle of people that you're comfortable with? Or um, are you reaching out to all sorts of people that aren't like you, that don't look like you, that don't think like you, they don't eat like you, they're not in the same stage of life as you? Is that okay? Who's in your phone? And who's in your home? Who's in your home? You know the walls are broken down when you can welcome brothers and sisters from all walks of life and races and cultures to break bread with you as family. 
I'm just telling you, I love this church. Because I think we've experienced some of this. And we get a little taste of heaven when we worship together on Sunday morning. Because the cross of Jesus Christ has broken down walls. Amen? Here's another reminder of what God is doing. Note this. Only on Christ can the church be built. Only on Christ can the church be built. Look at what Paul says in verse 19. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus Himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In Him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Do you see what God is doing in this church? Do you see what He's doing? Look at, look at who you were again. Verse 19. That's who you were, but you're no longer strangers and aliens, but fellow citizens, members of the household of God. God is building His church, and you're included. You get the privileges. You're a part of it. Is that not awesome? Now look at the foundation here. Verse 20. It's the, uh, the apostles and the prophets. That's the Scriptures. And they have revealed that the foundation is Jesus. I know that we say that we have four pillars that we are built upon. We will never move away from these things. Unapologetic preaching of His Word. Unashamed adoration. Lifting high the name of Jesus in worship. Unceasing prayer. Believing firmly in the power of prayer. And unafraid witness. Sharing the good news of Jesus with boldness. May we never move away from those. But the foundation is Christ. He's the cornerstone. He is the key. He's the one that we worship. I was talking with a a buddy of mine this week who called me randomly and I told him, and this is just not random, as I'm studying these things in the Scriptures, I I get a a call from a friend of mine from Moody Bible Institute. His name is B. Vang. Love this guy. He's a pastor now. And he's planted a church in Appleton, Wisconsin. I didn't know this, but Appleton, Wisconsin apparently is really diverse. It's got a huge uh, refugee population. And that's represented in their church. I loved as I was talking with him and we were kind of sharing back and forth about what God is doing and, and in a lot of ways how our, our churches have some uh, similarities together. He said, you know, I, I just have to like encourage my people though, like the focus is not diversity. If our focus is diversity, we'll just become a social club. We have to focus on Jesus. The church is not built on diversity. The church is built on Christ. And every brick, no matter how different, in Christ is being joined together into a dwelling place for God. So it's never just another Sunday at harvest. Because this is a gathering of reconciled brothers and sisters being built together where the Spirit of God dwells. Do you sense that? That God shows up in our worship. God is here. He is present. When people from every walk of life, every nation, every tribe, every tongue gather together to worship the one God who has brought them all together. And he gets the glory. He is present here, and he's at work. So we remember these things. And one of the ways that we do that is by taking communion together. I'm going to ask the worship team to come on up. And you think about what we do. We, we spend time remembering and rejoicing in what Christ has done for us And I know that when we take communion, this is very personal. 
God has done something in your life. And so we look to Christ and we're thankful for what he's accomplished. But you know that when we take these elements, one of the things that it reminds us, we're breaking bread and taking the cup together. Because the cross reminds us that our vertical relationship with God has been reconciled. But it also stretches horizontally to remind us that we belong together. So we're going to take communion. I want you to spend some time thanking God for what he's done in your own life. But I love that when you come, some of you come with your families. Some of you come with your friends sitting next to you. Let's do that together. This is, this is a moment for us to remind each other you are loved here. Maybe you experience the love of God and we want you to experience the fact that we love you and we are thankful you're here. Father, I pray that you would press these truths into our hearts. Lord, we thank you for what you've accomplished for us. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace. But of all, you just take a moment and just thank the Lord. Make this personal. Thank the Lord for what he's accomplished for you on that cross that you can be reconciled to him. You can have peace with God. Lord, we thank you for the cross that we are made right with you and we are made right with one another. So maybe there's, I don't know, maybe there's some tension between our brothers and sisters even now. Would you be working in our hearts that we just want to take care of that. We don't want any unfinished business because we are reconciled in Christ and we love one another and thank you for giving us this tangible reminder that we can worship together experience a little taste of heaven this morning and we give you praise and glory for it in Jesus name, amen. Well, would you stand? And now we're going to sing. But you come. There is bread. You can dip it in the juice. You can take it there or take it back to your seat. You can come personally, but you can come with your friends and your brothers and sisters around you. But let's come and sing and take communion together.